As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1. This, this Advent season, we'll be journeying together, looking at the original Advent songs, the original Christmas carols as found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there's going to be four songs that we're going to examine uh, that as we make our way through Advent for what God has done. I mean, this God who loves to make beautiful things, and he does it so surprisingly. And he does it so amazingly well. And how he is going to make beautiful things is, is by sending his own son to come and be with us and rescue us. And so we're going to see those lives that were, were touched in the beginning. Those lives who said, this is too unbelievable. This is too beautiful. This is too right not to sing about. So we will be uh, looking at these four original Christmas carols. And we're reminded last week, that, you know, this Christmas season, no matter what Jack says, the most wonderful time of the year, it's even produced its own Christmas genre, uh, and its own uh, uh, songs that we sing and the different stations that are playing it. But not just the songs, right? There's also the Christmas season TV shows, those specials. All right, let me ask you, what's your favorite? What will, like, I can't have Christmas unless I see this one. Which, which one's your favorite? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a great one. My kids, when we make them watch that, they think they're being punished. Um, that's a good one. Black and white, maybe. I don't know. What, what, what else? Uh, what's, your, what's your favorites? Christmas Vacation. All right. Great spiritual message there. You know, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, anybody else? Favorites? The Grinch. The Grinch. Which Grinch? Now, when you talk about the Grinch, you're not talking about your family members, right? You're talking about the show. The Grinch. Are you talking about the, uh, the animated one or the Jim Carrey one? Animated one. I, I, I agree. It wouldn't be that without it. I'm still looking for something else. Is there anybody else? A Christmas story. I mean, it wouldn't be Christmas. I mean, we got it right. I'm not sure if it's TBS or TNT, but they show, they show it 24-7 Christmas Eve. And it's a beautiful story. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's a story of a young boy, Ralphie. It's actually being narrated in his adult voice. And it takes place in Cleveland, and, and just as the setting uh, opens up, I feel connected to it. I have nothing to do with Cleveland, actually, but it's in the snow, and that's where I grew up, and uh, it's that kind of, kind of brings me back to my childhood and the experiences of Ralphie. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie, and I'm sure if you've seen it, you remember it, is, is where they've gathered around the flagpole. And they gather around the flagpole, and, and there's the dare uh, that's going to be given that, that someone is going to put their tongue on the flagpole. I don't know for you Floridians if you know this or not, but when you put something moist on something frozen, uh, there's an amazing adhesion that takes place, and it sticks. It really, really does. Now, so, so there was this process where these young boys were saying, hey, my dad told me this would work, and they all said, your dad, he's nuts. Your dad's no, okay, I dare you. And they have this sequence that they go through, and apparently it was a breach in sequence. They got to the, well, I triple dog dare you. And that was like the dare of all dares. And, of course, after that triple dog dare, you, you have nothing else to do other than stick your tongue to the flagpole, which he does. If you saw uh, the show, uh, it does stick. And, by the way, you just need a little bit more water, and you're fine. You go, and the fire department had to come. But do you remember those sayings? Do you remember those sayings growing up? I mean, what, what were the things that you just kind of, I'm not saying it's a triple dog dare, uh, but what were those things that just remind you of your childhood? How about, what was the saying you used when you really wanted to let others know that you were serious with keeping a commitment? 
When you wanted to make a promise, and not, not just a promise that could be quickly forgotten and be broken, but you wanted to make that, that, that promise of all promises, what would you say? I mean, I, listen, I promise, I, I cross my heart, I hope to die, I stick a needle in my eye. How'd you do on that promise? Now, I'm looking around at you guys, and I'm thinking right now, many of you probably made that. You know the saying. I bet you use that in your own life. I bet you there were things that you said, listen, I, I promise this is true. I said, I cross my heart. I hope to die. I stick a needle in my eye. You all look like you're doing all right. So you must be like me. That that meant nothing, right? <laughs> but at the time, you really wanted it to. At the time, you really wanted to say, now, listen, I'm, I'm really serious this time. And I really want my word to count. And I, I really want to say something to, to commit to you how important this is. If God were to make promises with us, how would he do it? If, if God wanted us to know his promises in, in, in ways that there was no ambiguity that he's going to keep it, in, in ways that we knew that, that he is really, really serious about this, how would God make promises to us? Well, the Bible tells us that, that he makes promises us to us in what's called covenants. Now listen, some of you just said, oh, good, covenants, religious term. Exit from the sermon. Don't. This is really important. Because what covenants are, covenants are how God has promised to his people. And listen, you got to hear the promises God makes to his people. They're incredible. The God of the Bible, the God who is true and living, this God makes God-sized promises. They're astounding promises. He, he promises things like this. I want to be your God. And, and, and of all of creation, I want you to be my children. I mean, the God who makes these huge God-sized promises, he, he makes promises like this. Everything that enslaves you, I want to set you free from. Everything that keeps you from living, I want you to live abundantly. Everything that keeps you from being fruitful, I want to make you fruitful. I mean, you open up the Bible and you examine from Genesis to Revelation this God, you're going to say the promises he makes are ginormous, gigantic. They're huge. But he makes these promises in what's called covenants. And they're basically this. A covenant is a promise that God makes that he's going to seal with blood. And it's basically going to be like a, a contract, if you will. Here, here's, here's how gracious and merciful this God is. And he comes to us, and he's going to bind himself in, in a legal document. Like, And, and these ancient Near Eastern uh, uh, documents re, uh, reveal that the language God uses is, is legal language. That God wants to bind himself to his promises that we can trust that they'll come true. Now, here are a few more things about God's covenants, God's promises. It's God who always initiates them. I mean, God is the initiator. He, he's the supreme one. He's the one who has all the authority, right? I mean, we, we don't go to God and negotiate anything. I mean, we're creator. He's crea uh, we, he is the creator. We're the creation. He's the all-powerful one. We're so feeble. So when it comes to promises, when it comes to covenants, it's God who's always the one who initiates. But there's more than that. It's God is the, always the one who sets the stipulations or the conditions of, a, of his covenant or his promises. And he's going to say, well, here it is. I'm God, and I'm making a relationship with you, a covenant relationship with you, and here are the stipulations. And all the stipulations, there's always two parts. There's always a God part. There's always a part of these covenant agreements that God will say, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am, 
and this is what I'm going to do. And then there's always a man part. Now listen, you really got to ramp on with me because this is going to make this whole sermon make sense. There's always a man part where it's our part to fulfill what God is asking us to do in covenant. Uh, there is our responsibility that one, what we must do before holy God. Now, also with his promises, there's always these curses for breaking it. Holy God comes to us and makes a promise and he says, this is how it's going to be. And I'm going to tell you, this is how you must act. And if you don't, here are the curses, here are the consequences. But there's also more. There's, there's great things. There's blessings. There's blessings. God comes to his people and says, here's the deal. This is how it's going to work. And if you fulfill these, you will be blessed. And oh my, will we be blessed? Well, it's these covenants that we look to at Christmas because God has promised to rescue us. God has promised to come and save us. God has promised to to come be Emmanuel. You ready for this? God with us. God's promise to say everything that enslaves you, I want to unshackle. Everything that kills you, I want to take away and make you alive. God says this. I want to promise you that I want to work in your life in a way that, that what you were created to do, know and love and worship me in freedom and joy, I'm going to provide for you to be able to do. This morning, we're going to look at Zachariah's song. Zachariah's song is how God keeps his promise This whole song is the amazing promise of God fulfilled. If you were here last week, I told you the outline we're going to be going through each week with this this sermon series. We're going to look at the singer. Who is it that's saying this song? We're going to look at the setting. What setting did the singer find himself in? And, And listen, we're only going to stay there where it's pertinent to us and pertinent to the text. What does this reveal about God? What does this reveal about God's promises? And quite frankly, what does that have to do with me? We're going to look at the singer, we're going to look at the setting, and then we're going to really marinate and spend most of our time just looking at the song. What does this song mean to them? What does this song mean to us? And this morning, how does this song show us that God keeps his promise to us? So let's turn in our original God hymnals uh, called the Bible. Here's where we see uh, God's original songs uh, to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verses 67 through 79 we will find uh, uh, the song, Zechariah's song, for us. Let's be mindful that although Luke uh, wrote this uh, gospel at a particular time uh, for a particular people, uh, because Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, these are God's songs. These are God's words. I mean, we can trust this. And this is not a story for us to be distant from. But really, if we get this and we get God's promises, these are songs that should be sung in our hearts. These are songs that should change us from the inside out. These are songs that give us life and life abundantly because they contain the good news of Christ. Let's look at Luke chapter 1 verses 67 through 79 where we find this song. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all those who hate us. 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy, here's that word, covenant. The oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, now talking about John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. And this this Greek word here is like the bowels of mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let us pray. Now, Father God, would you please come with the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word, through a broken, sinful vessel like me, in a way that your song and your song alone could be heard. And that we could clearly see how Jesus has kept all of the promises for us. We ask that you would give us ears to hear the voice of your Son, our Savior Jesus. You give us minds to understand what were the promises that were made to us and how did Jesus help accomplish those promises to become a reality in our lives. Give us, God, would you please give us hearts to believe, to believe in your promises, to embrace your promises and to have faith that Christ has truly come to fulfill your promises. And God, would you come and be with your people in such a way that you empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of those who are holy and righteous and have been set free according to promises that have been accomplished and applied to our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we see is this, uh, the singer is Zachariah. This is Zachariah's song. And so let's pick up a little bit more of Zachariah's story in Luke chapter 1. So if you turn with me again to Luke 1, you'll find that we'll know a little bit more about this singer starting in verse 5. I mean, this is, very, this is the very beginning of Luke's gospel. And as Luke is writing God's word to tell us of how God is going to rescue us through his son Jesus... He begins with telling us about Zechariah. Let's listen to uh, God's word uh, together. Luke 1, verse 5, thinking of who is this singer. And the days of Herod, probably sounds familiar to you with the Jesus story. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, so she too was a priest. And her, or, or, or of that line. And her name was Elizabeth. We saw her last week. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Let me just pause there and say this. This is what we hear so far. Zechariah was a priest of God. 
In Zechariah, it says, walk blamelessly before the Lord. That he was a righteous man. We can't miss the reality that this basically says, here this priest of God who honored God and wanted to live his life for God, guess what happened to his wife? She was barren. In those days in that culture, that was, a, that was almost seen as a curse. That was an amazing weight for her to bear. Advanced in years, that ship had come and sailed. And they never had children. You know that, you know that Zachariah's prayers had to be a cry, but why, God, why? What a great woman she is. Why, God, why? Why don't we have a child? Why don't we have an heir? Why, God, why? Let's just be, be mindful that Scripture tells us about this man, that he was righteous in God's sight, and yet was broken and needy. For those of us who are his, sometimes want to cry out, why, God, why? We live in a fallen world. Um, but our God is with us. Let's keep going. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And while the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. How would you feel? You're in God's house. You're there to offer prayers to God. All of a sudden, there is the angel of the Lord. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord and prepare a people. And Zechariah had the audacity to say to the angel, how should I know this? Basically, what are you talking about? This can't be. My woman Elizabeth's a great woman, but that, that ship sailed a long time ago. How in the world? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe, priest of God, righteous man, my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, The Lord has done for me. Look what the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. What an amazing uh, picture we have of this singer. Did you get it? Zechariah, the faithful yet doubting priest. 
And let me tell you what he was doing. When he was burning incense, when he was selected to burn incense in the temple, that was always a reference for prayers. He was selected to be the one who would be a priest, represent the people to God, to go into the presence of God and offer incense and prayers to God. What were Zachariah's prayers? Now, we don't know specifically, but the text has told us enough. Would he not be praying for his wife, Elizabeth? Would he not be in there in the presence of the Lord saying, Oh, Lord, be with my wife, Elizabeth. Be with the one. Because when people look at her, they, they think that she's cursed because she doesn't have children. Be with my wife, Elizabeth, because she feels incomplete because she's never born a child. Be with my wife, Elizabeth. Please be with her. And God shows up and says, I'm with you. And I'm listening. And here's really good news. Your prayers are answered. And Zechariah didn't believe it. But he did more than offer his own personal prayers. A priest doesn't go in there and pray for just himself if he's a priest worth his salt. A priest went in there to pray for the people. And do you know the prayers that the priest was going to pray for the people burning the incense? Here's what he was praying. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Oh God, you've made promises. Oh God, you told us you'd rescue us. Oh God, it's been silent for so long. Oh God, it's been dark for so long. Oh God, where are you? God, can we trust you? I mean, God, are your promises real? It's just been so long. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. I know you've prayed those prayers. I mean, I know that there's been things in your life that, that you're just saying, God, where are your promises? I mean, this darkness has been here a long time. God, how long do I have to sit here? And here you have Zachariah, a priest of God, a righteous man who walked blamelessly before God, and God showed up answering for the first time his prayers. Not just personally, by the way, you are going to have a son and He is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. All of your longings are going to come true. And he's like, how in the world can this happen? Don't get it. Mm -mm. Don't know. And God said, well, you're going to be silent for a while. I got to wonder what it's like uh, to be silent for nine months as your wife is pregnant. Do you think that his wife enjoyed that? (laughs) There's been times, there had to be a gift sometimes, don't you think? Hey, honey, how do I look in this? Does this make me look fat? I mean, there had to be times that it was a blessing. There had to be times thinking, come on. But that's what we have. Here, here's the point. Zechariah, faithful yet doubting priest. And let me tell you something. God uses faithful yet doubting people to do amazing things. Here's the setting. The setting was the circumcision and naming of John. Let's look again at, at, at the story. We find it in 1, verses 57. Let's look at the setting. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. Remember, she was barren. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, in obedience, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, you shall call him John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives go by the name John. And they made signs to the father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called with that authority. And he asked for a writing tablet, maybe an iPad, and wrote, his name 
is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, and immediately, listen to this, and immediately his mouth, after the obedience to God, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judah. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What a setting. After nine months of silence, finally after obedience, he one time had no faith. Now he sees the reality. In obedience, he speaks. He says, you know what? God has named this child already, and his name is John. Now here's a really cool thing. The name John, it means God is merciful. And what about he's about ready to sing about? is the amazing depths of God's mercy, what we're going to see in this song. And he says, I'm bringing him in obedience to be circumcised to you. I dedicate him to you. I'm going to give him the name that will say that God is merciful because why? God's covenant promises to rescue us are about to be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit filling Zechariah caused the one tongue that couldn't move in nine months to sing. And then we see the song. The song is a two-part harmony. It's a two-part harmony about John and about Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It's really about Jesus. And even John, uh, we realize, is just pointing to Jesus. But what we see in this song, it's always been one song. Here's what I want you to know. It seems like God, and he is doing an amazingly new thing, but in this song is all the language is God has always been doing this. And you get to verse 70. It's very interesting. Look again in uh, Uh, 170. It says this, and he spoke by the mouth, singular, mouth of his prophets, of his holy prophets from of old. You know what that means? It basically means this. All the people who ever went before Jesus only had one song, one message, one hope, one God. All the prophets of all the times, of all the shapes and sizes had one thing to say. They had one mouth. That God is a God who keeps his promises. And God is a God who's going to come rescue us. And God is a God who's going to be with us. And and, and in these lines of prophets, John is going to be the last to point to Jesus. But we got to know they only had one mouth. Because they only had one hope. They only had one song. What an amazing song that they sing. It says this in, in verse 67. It says that Jesus is the son of the most high who has visited and redeemed his people. What amazing depths of love that Jesus has visited his people. Are you ready for this? By becoming one of his people. Jesus visits us by becoming one of us. Do you know how well you know a friend? Uh, a friend who lives out of town. Let me tell you how well you, you know them. It's how they treat you when they pass through Orlando. If they're coming through Orlando and you find out later that they came through Orlando, say, oh man, you know what? I really wanted to call you. I, mean, I was thinking about you. I went through Orlando. We just didn't have time. That's not a really good friend. And then you may have some of the friends who go through Orlando and say, hey, you know what? Hey, I'm going through Orlando. I don't have time to stop. We got a lot of things going on. I just want to call you thinking of you. All right. But then you have some of those friends who say, let me tell you something. I'm coming through Orlando and, and I love you and I love time with you. And whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to make time for you and adjust my schedule. And some of those that really love you, say, is, they'll say to you, is there a place to stay? And some of you say, I don't love you that much. <laughs> Here's what God says. 
Listen, if God says, I love you enough to call you and tell you I care, that's pretty cool. If God's comes to say, I'm gonna pass through your neighborhood and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know, I just want you to know I was there and I love you and maybe I'll stay for lunch. That'd be really amazing. But the way God visits us and the way God demonstrates his love for us is, listen, he becomes one of us to dwell among us, to tell us the depths of his love and to show us the depths of God's promises being revealed. But there's more. There's more. This is, this, you gotta hear this. God became man so that he could keep man's part of the covenant. God becomes man so that God can maintain his promises to us to love us and rescue us and be with us and never leave us and never forsake us. And God becomes man because why? Man had to be the one to fulfill his side of the covenant. And we blew it. We blew it from birth. We're nothing but sin. So God takes on flesh and becomes fully God and fully man so that he can complete what Holy Father requires of us. Jesus kept the covenant. Jesus kept the promises. Why? So we can enjoy the blessings. So those who broke it can have the riches. Jesus, not only did he, he visit us by becoming one of us, Jesus redeems his people by dying instead of us. I mean, this, this, this covenant-making God, this God who says, I'm going to establish a relationship with you. Guess who Jesus is? He is the Word in flesh. Jesus is the covenant-making God. He is the one who has established a relationship with us. And you ready for this? He is the one who's keeping it for us. And he is the one who will say, that I will become a curse. I'll hang on a tree and be a curse so that I will absorb the wrath of God. I will be punished so that you will be blessed. There's a story in Genesis 15. Uh, Abraham is mentioned in this song, and there's three times in Genesis, Genesis 12, 15, and 17, that, that Abraham and God, or I should say God and Abraham, have entered into a covenant relationship. And there's this story in Genesis 15 that if you read it for the first time, it's one of those like, oh, what in the world is that all about? Because, because God has come to Abraham, and a guy who also didn't have children, he's promised them things like, you're going to have more descendants than any of the sky, the stars in the sky, and, and you're going to be the blessing to all nations. I'm going to bless the nations through you. And it's all pointing to Jesus, by the way. And then there's this really weird story that God says to Abraham, listen, I want you to take a heifer. I want you to take a goat. I want you to take a pigeon. I think there's another animal in there. And I want you to cut them in two. And I want you to slice them up, and I want you to, to separate them. And I want you to have, let's have carnage in front of you. And then it says that God caused Abraham to fall into a deep trance asleep. And, and, and as he's in this trance, there's this really odd story about this, this torch going through without any person through the carnage and through what's been ripped apart. And on the surface, you're like, what in the world is that all about? And here's what, here, here, here's, listen, this is so cool. This is what God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you, and I promise to keep it. And listen, if I don't keep my promise, may I be torn apart like this sacrifice. 
if, if I don't keep what I say I'm going to do, may I be ripped in two. And you can count on me. And if you can see Genesis 15 of a God who says, if I don't keep my, my promises, may I be like this. If you can't see the cross, you've missed it. Because that's who God is. He's not a God who says, I cross my heart and I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. He's a God who says, I'm going to crawl on a cross for you and become the wrath of God for you so that you and I can become the blessing of God. And what an amazing covenant-making God. What an amazing covenant-keeping God for us. A God who's come and does everything that God requires of us. Why? So that all of the promises of God from Genesis to Revelation are yes in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who comes and frees us from the yoke of slavery, it says, from our enemies and sets us free. And he gives us the yoke of his son. And he says, Jesus, who says to me, come to me, all you who are weary and broken. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come. And here's what he says. Now in me, you can serve our father without fear. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, he has made us holy. And in Christ Jesus, he's made us righteous. And of all the junk that we still have and all the brokenness of the world in Christ Jesus, that sacrifice was sufficient. And we can stand before the Father, beloved and free and clean and pure and beautiful. And that's why we can now, without fear, worship God. Because that fear was banished on the cross. And even with the junk that still remains, we can come into a place like this and know the promises of God have been fulfilled. And in him, we are holy and we are righteous and we are free and we are alive and we are his. Jesus breaks the yoke, iron yoke of slavery to place us under the easy yoke of Jesus to serve him without fear. Then John. John is a prophet of the Most High. Jesus is the Son of the Most High. John's just a prophet who prepares the way for Jesus. I mean, Scripture tells us, if you know the story of the Bible, Scripture tells us, specifically through Isaiah, a lot about the coming of Jesus. But it says, even before the Messiah will come, there'll be one who comes to prepare the way. And his preparing the way is just pointing to Jesus. It's basically taking the valleys that exist and fill them up, knock down the mountains, knock down anything that will get in the way of Jesus. That was John's whole job. He is the final mouthpiece, the final mouth singular to prepare the way to fulfill God's promises. And listen to what Zechariah sings of his son. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the Son shall visit. Interesting. Visit brackets this whole uh, section of Scripture here, this whole song. The Son rise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And in the shadow of death, Psalm 23, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's what he's saying. John, you're going to go prepare the way for Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is going to give us freedom. For all of us who are sitting in darkness, 
For all of us who are sitting in brokenness, for all of us enslaved by our own sin, Jesus has come to set us free. I mean, free and free at last. I mean, our, our sin can't touch us anymore. Do you understand that? The justice of God has been satisfied. Do you know that? The wrath of God has been quenched. I mean, we really are free. We really are free in Christ Jesus. We owe nothing to God's justice. Nothing. We're alive to those who sit in the shadow of death and that valley. As we pray for those who are going through chemo and, and in that shadow, and we, we've been, some of us have been there, but we know that here's the reality. The tomb was empty. Life reigns, and we are alive, even in the shadow of death. We're alive. Not just free and not just alive, but fruitful. For those who walk in the ways of peace, in the ways of the peace that Christ has gotten for us. It's John who will accomplish this mission, who will say of Jesus, I'm not even worthy to touch the guy's sandals. But when he sees Jesus, he'll say, behold, behold, behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus didn't say, I cross my heart, I hope to die, I stick a needle in my eye. Jesus says, listen, I, I will go to the cross. I will go to the cross, and the purpose that I go to the cross is to die so that all of the God's promises could be fulfilled. To truly make us free, to truly make us alive, to truly make us fruitful. It's the God who keeps his promise who keeps his oath, who keeps his covenant. And he is the one. And for anyone here today who's wondering about, can I trust God? Let me tell you who he is in closing. He is the wonderful counselor. He knows all things. He is the mighty God. He's conquered our greatest and God's greatest enemies. He is the everlasting father, the eternal one. And he is the prince of peace. And you and I can have that peace as he rules in our hearts. Because all of the promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for making such profound and deep promises to your people. That you who know us as children naturally of of wrath and children of darkness, you promise light. And you promise love. And you promise rescue. You promised that, that sinners like us would be made your sons and daughters. You, you told us that we could reign and rule with Christ. And everything that you've promised, you have fulfilled. Because you're the one who made the promise. And amazingly, you're the one who kept the promise. And we're the ones who look at a cross and say the wrath was satisfied. And by your grace through faith, the blessings are ours. We can't live the same way knowing that these promises have been fulfilled. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the remedy, that all that's been broken, thank you that you are making us new and you will finish the job. And thank you that you want the world to know through us that we too could be the remedy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.